Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price of the Boston Globe and welcome back to another episode of the Patriots Report. We have a jam-packed show for you this week. First, it's former New England offensive lineman and friend of the podcast, Rich Ornberger, checking in with us to give us his take on the Patriots' priorities this offseason. He's also got a great Tom Brady story that you don't want to miss. Then we talked to Mike Rodak. He's covered both New England and Alabama, and armed with that knowledge and the fact that the Patriots have made a habit of drafting Alabama players over the years, he identifies a few guys on the roster who might be a fit in Foxborough. Like I said, a big, big show. But first, I want to let you guys know that today's episode is presented by Bet Online. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday with the last game of the football season. And as always, Bet Online has you covered. From odds, scores, totals, players' performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. Bet Online's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAVE to get started. The fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now let's get things started with Rich Ornberg. All right, Rich, let's jump right into this here with a quick look back at the Patriots in the 2021 season. I know that they lost, obviously, in the wildcard round of the Bills, but when you look at the four teams in the AFC that made the divisional round, where are some areas that the Patriots can improve in if they want to be able to compete with the rest of the conference elites moving forward? Well, I, I think this league is turning so much more offensive. And by that, I mean, it's obvious. You're, you're looking at some of these offenses who are making deep runs in the postseason, like the Chiefs, like the Bengals, like the Rams. And you're seeing very similar things, just high volume passing games that are supplanted and helped with a solid run game. I mean, it's it's no offense to the Rams running backs room, but that's not the reason why they're they're in the position they are in the Super Bowl. It's Cooper Cup. It's Matthew Stafford. It's the adjustments they've made offensively in the passing game that's helped them navigate this uh, season differently than they have in the past with Jared Goff. And the same could be said for the connection between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. So when you look at this offensive arms race that's going on around the NFL, the Patriots need to catch up a little bit. In your division, you've got Tua Tungavailoa, who's somewhat underwhelming at the quarterback position, but he's got Jalen Waddle, who's a really high-volume receiving target. And you look at the Bills, and you look at uh, Josh Allen and Diggs, and that connection is really profiting them a lot of wins and, and a huge uh, offensive explosion. I think they... I think the Patriots need to find Mac Jones, his high volume target. And whether that means finding one in free agency this offseason or finding one in the draft, they have to find one because that connection point is going to be what really brings them to the table as one of the main contenders in this league. What are we going to take away from Mac Jones's rookie year, five, 10 years from now? What are we going to be talking about most when we look back on 2021 for Mac Jones? 
Uh, incredible consistency for a guy who has handed a huge, huge role. I mean, think about what he was stepping into. I think here as a, you know, a retrospective uh, and, and thinking about, thinking about uh, the, where the season started to where the season finished, uh, it's amazing that they even made the postseason. I mean, the Patriots were reeling after Tom Brady left in free agency. I think, you know, even though there was writing on the wall, that was still a bit of a surprise. And even after spending big in free agency and, you know, and, and really just sort of limping into the season with Cam Newton, literally, who was coming off of many injuries, you knew it was going to be a placeholder situation. But what Mac Jones took over was essentially the greatest football players all time uh, job. And he performed admirably. Were there hiccups? Yeah. Was there some regression at different points in the season where you saw strides in development earlier? Yeah, of course, there's going to be growing pains. But overall, to take a team that looked somewhat listless at times a year ago, and as the 15th overall pick inheriting all that, all that, uh, that cachet that comes with being the New England quarterback, I think he handled himself really well. It's going to be fascinating to see his evolution, especially from year one to year two. I, I kind of used the baseball analogy a little bit earlier when talking about Mac and the fact that he was a rookie pitcher going through the lineup once and he had a, a level of success. Now there's going to be a whole year's worth of film on him and it's going to be on him to be able to make those adjustments. How confident are you in his ability to be able to take his game from one level to another from year one to year two? My confidence level really is going to be adjudicated on who they bring in as offensive coordinator next. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I think that it would help immensely if the Patriots brought in somebody who can speak the language he's already had to learn. You know, I mean, if you bring in an outside voice, somebody who is not familiar with the McDaniels offense, you, you'd be setting him back a little bit. But if you can, if you can keep the language intact, and, and, and I use that word because I think a lot of people are confused about it. Like every single team, you know, unless there are similarities in coaching styles or a coach came from a certain system, has a completely different language that you need to learn. And, and it's literally like taking out one of these language apps like Rosetta Stone or Duolingo. <laughs> And comparing what you've learned at other places or with other offensive coordinators to what you're, you're, you're learning in the new language. And, and it's difficult. And you got to turn some things around your head. Different verbiage means different things. And so if the Patriots go back to the well of former Patriots offensive coordinators who speak the language, like a Billy O'Brien, for example, if he should take an offensive coordinating job back in New England, I think it would benefit Mac Jones greatly. So I reserve judgment on how he's going to look next season based on what direction they go with that hire, because that's going to be a very, very important developmental hire for Mac Jones. We've seen Bill go without offensive coordinator, offensive or defensive coordinators before. So it, it is, it's going to be interesting to see what route Belichick takes, not only what's best for the quarterback, but what's best for the football team as a whole. I, I want you to explain to people who haven't been in that building, Gillette Stadium, the importance of Josh McDaniels to the day-to-day -day operations of that franchise? I mean, it can't be understated. You know, when you, when, you think about, um, when you think about being a coordinator with Bill Belichick, you have to be so detail-oriented. You know, the, the whole idea of do your job and everybody taking care of what they're expected to be taking care of. I mean, that, 
as an offensive coordinator, you wear a lot of hats. You know, you got to make sure that all your assistants are on the same page, that everybody is speaking the same language and looking thing, at things through the same set of eyes. And so Josh McDaniels was essentially the head coach of the offense. And, and Bill Belichick, I mean, don't get me wrong, he is an asset. You can draw from his experience. And he definitely loves to sit down with his quarterbacks. He did it for 20 years with Tom Brady. He's doing it, I promise you with Cam Newton a year ago and Mac Jones now. And uh, it's good to have a, a veteran voice in the room like a Brian Hoyer, who I believe is a free agent this offseason, but mm -hmm. it would be smart of them to re-sign him, you know, and just keep as many of those consistent voices around Mac Jones because Josh McDaniels, what, like I said, was, was a head coach of that offense in that building. And so to lose him is a huge brain drain and, and to replace him, is no small task. And I have a feeling that's why it's taking some time because they want to make sure they get this right. What kind of impact does it have on a franchise, even one as historically great as the Patriots and as historically great as Bill Belichick is? What kind of impact does it have when you do suffer that sort of brain drain? You lose McDaniels, you lose Dante Scarnecchia. There's talk up here. I don't know if you saw the video um, at the end of the Buffalo playoff game that Ivan Fears may leave. What sort of impact does that have on a team when so many of those respected voices end up elsewhere? It, it, I mean, it's it's really your loss is somebody else's gain also. So it's not even it's not even just the fact that you're losing these coaches, but you got to go ahead and coach against them coming up in short order. Right. You know, some of these guys are going to be in your conference, in your division even. And that's a difficulty that Bill Belichick, a reality that he's had to deal with throughout the course of his coaching career and has had success regardless. But when you lose familiar faces around an organization, what it means is you have to either A, have somebody in the pipeline who you've been developing, or B, get somebody caught up to replace that voice. And when that's the case, I mean, it's it's like moving your toothbrush on your bathroom sink, right? You know, I mean, it. I'm using a very small uh, comparison to show you how difficult it is. Like, you know, everybody knows where they keep their toothbrush, but if you moved it in your bathroom, it'd take you a while to adjust to that new habit. And, and it's, it's, you know, new forms of communication with different coaches in different places, you know, different positions, whether it means you've promoted someone from within or you brought someone from outside. It, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable at first and it takes time to figure out exactly how all the pieces are gonna fit um, but they got to do that in a hurry because good organizations, or I should say organizations who have had su sustained success, they lose good coaches. That's what's happened with the Los Angeles Rams now since Sean McVay has taken over. That's what's happening with the San Francisco 49ers. As you go on deep playoff runs or if you're a perennial playoff team, you're going to lose coaches. It's happened to Andy Reid several times in Kansas City. It's just uh, it's part of the gig. Since we spoke, Tom Brady has announced his retirement. You played with him alongside him. You were a teammate of his for a couple of years here in New England. You tweeted out one of my favorite Tom Brady stories. Everyone had a Tom Brady story when Tom Brady retired, but you tweeted out one of my favorite Tom Brady stories. Tell the people a little bit about your experience with number 12. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, awesome teammate and a tremendous career, the greatest of all time. And uh, I'm so happy he gets to walk away on his terms because it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity to sort of launch yourself into what's next. You know, this wasn't some injury that took his career from him. He decided, you know what, 
enough's enough. I've done it all. I've seen it all and I'm comfortable with the decision. So a huge bit of congratulations to Tom uh, entering this next stage in his life. But yeah, back in 2011, we were celebrating a, a clinching the division in Buffalo in the locker room when we found out that our flight back home to New England was snowed in. A blizzard, like a northeaster, was hitting the, the coast there, and, and we couldn't land the plane, uh, the charter plane back in Providence. So we got stuck in Buffalo, but there were no hotels available because so many you know, Patriots fans and, and you know, Buffalo fans from elsewhere in the state were coming in and staying for the game. So we had to move hotels to this place in Rochester. And I had never been to a dinosaur buffalo uh, or a barbecue, mm-hmm. but there was this restaurant, bar restaurant grill in Rochester that's famous. And Matt Light organized the whole thing, got the whole offensive line out. You know, and we're pouring pitchers of beer and we're, you know, eating chicken, chicken wings and ribs and just having a good old time. And then, of course, because we're, you know, rowdy, you know, a competitive bunch, we start chugging beers and seeing who's like kind of the king of the mountaintop. And I am absolutely smoking dudes like it was. <laughs> look, I mean, you know, you've seen Gone in 60 Seconds. You've seen all the Fast and Furious movies like off the line. I can't be beat. It's unbelievable. It's uh, it's a gift and a curse, you know, Chris. I mean, I, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying how it is. <laughs> and so we're we're going we're going along, and I mean, having a blast. And all of a sudden, Matt comes over, and he has got this really phony, serious face on his face. Uh, uh, on and he's like, you know, who's coming to the bar? I said, no, who? And he goes, somebody who's going to beat you. You're you're finally going to be challenged and and probably toppled from this mountaintop that you sit upon you're this throne of lies. And I said, well, who is it? <laughs> and he goes, Tom Brady. He's like, Brady, you don't know this, but one of his hidden talents is he is the fastest beer drinker I think I've ever met. And so I'm like, well, bring him on. So he comes sauntering into the saloon, you know, he's shaking the snow off from his jacket and dude, it was like a movie. Like it was like one of those old West shootouts, <laughs> like the crowd parted. He walks to the table that's covered in chicken bones and, and you know, d- discarded rib bones. And, you know, they slide all the mess out of the way. They slam down two beers. And on the count of three, it's me facing off against the goat. And sure enough, I mean, my glass hit the table first and I, I slept the sleep of a champion that night. I, <laughs> I felt uh, I, I felt great. He felt awful. He looked at me and uh, I could see the defeat in his eyes. And maybe for the first time in his life, he 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 really truly felt like uh, like he couldn't hang, you know. And um, I, I will say this: it did change our relationship. I was always very wary of him after that. <laughs> is, is he now? That would seem to be really incongruous when you when you think about his diet. Is is this was not this was this was okayed by? I don't know if no, Alex Guerrero was in the picture at that point or this, what. This was before the avocado ice cream, man. This gotcha. was, you know, this was, I, and you know what, who knows? Maybe they were in like, they were knee deep in developing the, the, the plan. You know what I mean? Like maybe mm-hmm. they were in the test kitchen phase of the, uh, the Tom Brady diet, but yeah, the TB12 method hadn't been released yet. So I think he was still able to free wing it sometimes. Um, but it was, dude, it was one of those really fun moments. And, and there were plenty of those with Tom, you know, he was, uh, look, he was a celebrity, so he didn't get to do all the things that other guys get to do because he, he would get mobbed if you went out, you know, publicly or, or, you know, you were too visible with him, especially, 
you know, around Boston or the, the New England area in general. Mm-hmm. But but he was generous and he spent a lot of time with his offensive line guys. And uh, and and he there was a sense of humility that not not every star player that I've played with has. And he really connected with his teammates in the locker room. So he's he's one of just the, not only one of the best players to ever play the game, if not the best. He's also one of the all time guys. I really I really enjoyed my time in New England with him. I have to ask, were you surprised at all? One of the big stories up here was the fact he did not mention New England in his retirement announcement. Did that surprise you at all? Oh, it certainly did. And there's nothing, as you know, Chris, from covering him all these years, there's mm-hmm. nothing he does that isn't calculated. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no question that that was intentional to whatever extent, I don't know. And for whatever reasons, I can't speak on intelligently. But there's no question that Somebody either in his PR team, his wife, who might have looked over his retirement, you know, uh, Instagram and Twitter posts, or, you know, somebody close to him otherwise said, hey, you know, Tommy, uh, there's no mention of Belichick or Robert Mm -hmm. Kraft or the Patriots fans or any of your teammates from New England. Is this the route you want to go? And he said, yeah. And again, like I said, I don't know why. But I did. It did strike me as odd, and I know it definitely struck a chord with fans out there in New England. And I do think that he got around to it on Twitter, you know, retweeting some things from from um, Patriots Nation and mm-hmm. uh, and giving a shout out later on. But but that initial retirement post, you know, going nine different pages without a mention of New England, yeah, it struck me as odd. But Again, there's a reason for everything he does, and, uh, and I don't know exactly what the reasons are. Maybe one day there'll be more clarity around that. He's the great Rich Ornberger, people. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter, O-H-R-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. Tell people about the new show you got going on. Oh, my God. I'm having the best time out here in San Diego. You can hear it uh, anywhere you are on the iHeartRadio app as well. Um, We're getting it up going on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that stuff soon to come. But Hartman and Rich O Show, we got a national show on Fox Sports Radio that goes 10 to 2 Pacific time on Sundays. And then we do our San Diego show from 6 to 9 a.m. on the West Coast. And it's just a barrel of laughs every single morning. We're trying to just have fun. Like, you know, there's enough serious news talk. There's enough people tackling all the the intense, you know, sports stories, which many of them intermingle with politics now and race Mm -hmm. relations in the country. I think we're just trying to Find a, find a place to still have fun in the candy store that we all get to work in in sports. And so I appreciate you giving it a mention uh, on your podcast here, Chris. We're having a lot of fun with it. I appreciate you taking the time, Rich. Hopefully we can circle back around sooner rather than later and, and catch up again real, real soon. Will do. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Take care, man. Want to make some money? How about you invest it in an exciting asset that's outpaced the S&P 500 by 164% for 25 years? I'm talking about art. Masterworks is the new investing app that lets you invest in blue chip paintings from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol without needing millions. Over 300,000 people have already signed up. Get priority access with our unique promo. Log on to masterworks.art slash believe. That's masterworks.art slash believe. B-L-E-A-V. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclosures. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you're online. 
And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you get the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at $4 a month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Now, let's bring in Mike Rodak. Mike, you have covered both New England and Alabama, and armed with that knowledge and the fact that the Patriots have made a habit of drafting Alabama players over the years, I was hoping you could identify a few guys on the Crimson Tide roster who you think might fit in Foxborough. Now, let's start on the defensive side of the ball. The consensus seems to be that New England needs to get younger and faster on defense. Are there two or three names Patriots fans should consider when it comes to this year's draft? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there's, I would say overall, it's going to be a bigger defensive draft for Alabama after those first couple first round picks. I mean, Evan Neal and Jamison Williams, the tackle and wide receiver will be their first round picks. That's pretty much a certainty right now. But after that, most of the drafts can be on defense. And I think that's where the Patriots could, could do some damage as it relates to Alabama. The, the guys that I would watch, first of all, would be Christian Harris, um, their inside linebacker who, so Alabama plays, and they always have under Saban, a three, four system. So it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Patriots, it seems like they've kind of gone back and forth in recent years, but Harris has played inside in their three, four um, and has, you know, definitely some coverage skills though. He's not that traditional, like when Saban first started at Alabama, it was Dante Hightower and Ruben Foster mm-hmm. and um, uh, McLean, like those big six, four, two fifty guys. They've, they've really shifted over the years to going more towards the smaller, faster guys. And that's that's kind of where Harris fits in. He's I don't have his exact measurements in front of me, but he's definitely smaller and faster than those guys were. Mm-hmm. And uh, coverage guy, uh, downhill guy in terms of being able to create some um, tackles for loss. You know, not probably not the biggest or best blitzer in the world. Um, they didn't ask him to do a ton of that from that spot, but I think he, he could do it at the NFL level. Um, had a great game against Georgia in a national championship game, his, his best game of the year. And it was overall, I'd say, a disappointing year for him coming in because he had a, a great junior year or a great sophomore year. This was his junior year last year and had his first team preseason all SEC, a lot of high expectations. I think I saw some top 10 draft projections for him coming into this past season and just never really was the same playmaker that he was the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that raw talent, that raw speed, athleticism, I think is all there with him. And I think when you look at maybe his draft stock, it's probably dropped to the point where, you know, I, I've been seeing him mid to late second round. Mm-hmm. And that's that's probably where he'll go. And that, you know, that's the Patriots range, I think, if you're talking their second round pick, you know, the second half of that second round. So you'd be getting a guy who certainly would bring more athleticism than what they have right now in um, in, in Hightower and, and Juwan Bentley. And, you know, probably more – I mean, Jamie Collins is sort of a freak athlete. I don't know if anybody truly compares to him, but probably more in that mold mm-hmm. um, than it would be a Hightower thumper mold. 
Uh, so that would be one guy I would certainly watch. And, you know, I think with him, you know, he's definitely, I, I think he does fit the Patriots mold from a character standpoint. He's a very quiet guy, mm-hmm. uh, never really said much to us. I think a guy who sometimes, you know, might've gotten in his own head a little bit, especially during this past season when he wasn't making the same sort of plays up until the national championship game. But, um, you know, I don't think he's any sort of a character red flag. I think if anything, you just, you would wonder what sort of, leader he is you know he's not a ray lewis pound your chest and give a speech to the team sort of guy he's a very quiet guy Mm -hmm. um so i don't know if you're getting a ton from just a a guy who'll stand in front of the room with harris um the second guy that has really intrigued me potentially with the patriots would be jalen armor davis who is a corner and not a ton of people expected him to come out this year I, i was surprised i think a lot of people were surprised that he came out he had another year left he was a redshirt junior last year and, but it was his first year as a starter, uh, mm-hmm. starting at cornerback for Alabama. A taller, lankier guy. We know the Patriots have gone towards those guys in the past. Razai Dowling coming to mind from 10 years ago. I mean, Juwan Williams, I think, mm-hmm. would probably fit that bill as well as being a lankier guy. So that would be his calling card. He didn't take part in the senior bowl because I don't know if he was eligible as a redshirt junior. So it's probably something where at the combine and his pro day, is going to be the first time for people to really see him from a, a draft standpoint. And I think you'll get more attention then because right now I don't really know what his draft projection would be that he's yeah. kind of the biggest mystery of Alabama players. Cause he hasn't really been a part of mock drafts because people don't expect him to come out. So I could see him going as high as a second round. I could also see him being a third, fourth, fifth round pick. Um, but the Patriots need corners. I mean, it'll help to get Jonathan Jones back. But then potentially losing J.C. Jackson, you know, there's there's certainly an opening there. I don't think you're not going to beat the Chiefs. You're not going to beat the Bills trotting out Miles Bryan and, and D'Angelo Ross and those guys. So they're going to need to <laughs> get somebody at corner who I think can play um, yeah. against some of these receivers and these quarterbacks. And that would be the guy that would intrigue me more for Alabama than their other corner, who's also in the draft, and Josh Job. I think Armour Davis might have a little bit more uh, just physical ability and kind of raw talent there. It feels like looking at Harris's numbers, I, I just called him up 6'2", 232. You bring up the fact that he is not as big, uh, you know, as those kind of those, you know, the Reuben Fosters, the, the Dante Hightowers of the world. It feels like that's where we're trending anyway. And so if you could get a guy who you know would fit in your defense, who is who has that kind of size and that kind of speed, as opposed to maybe, you know, a, a big thumper, that would seem to be a good fit, at least initially, you know, just kind of looking at his n- numbers and, and you know, looking at him as a prospect on paper. We get a ton of Patriots games down here, actually, because of Mac. And, uh, you know, it, it's a case of I, I was watching the, the Colts game that was on primetime here. And it, you could really tell that speed of the Colts defense showing up in that game, especially mm-hmm. in contrast to what the Patriots had. And, um, you know, the, even the Bills games, you could tell just the, the speed of that, like Matt Milano that the Bills have and Tremaine Edmonds, and they really drafted some athletes at linebacker in, in Buffalo. You know, the Patriots don't have that. They have Bentley, who I think is a guy playing 10 or 15 years past when he should be um, mm-hmm. in terms of the style of the NFL. You know, if he got drafted for the 2001 Patriots, he'd probably be a better fit than what he is now. Um, and obviously Hightower is, is probably close to the end in terms of his career. So 
they do need somebody inside. Um, I think the second level of the, of the Patriots defense is, is probably the bigger need to me, just watching them than their defensive line. I think they're all right with Barmore. They're all right with, with Godshow. I mean, it's not like they play a ton of defensive linemen anyway. So, yeah, I think that that would be a good fit for him um, just in terms of, you know, like I said, Alabama's gone that direction too. They, they got a transfer from Tennessee, Henry Toa Toa, who is small, but that's what you need. If you're going to go out and cover a tight end or slot receiver or running back out of the backfield, backfield that's kind of what you need these days. Let's flip that around to the offensive side of the ball. A lot of people feel, obviously, watching the Patriots offense over the last year or so, they need to get Mac a true number one receiver. Is there that sort of potential this spring with someone coming out of Alabama or maybe someone at another position who could step in and be an impactful player for this offense sooner rather than later. Yeah. So in terms of first round picks, it's, it's sort of a down year for Alabama, which is all relative. I mean, they had six first round picks last year, which was tied for the record. Um, there's two first round picks this year. It's Evan Neal, who the Patriots are not going to have any shot at. He's potentially the, the first overall pick at tackle. Mm-hmm they could still use them. It doesn't seem like Isaiah Wynn is, is going to be the answer long-term for them. But um, the question is Jameson Williams and how far he falls with his ACL. I mean, if, if he did not get hurt in a national championship game, it seemed like he was on track to be a top 10, top 15 pick, in which case the Patriots weren't going to be able to get him. In this case, I've seen projections now, you know, the back half of the first round, the last five picks of the first round seems to be the sweet spot now for him, which that's the Patriots range. And, yeah, I think he has more number one receiver potential than Mechie does mm-hmm. because of his speed. And that really showed up this past season, especially the first half of the season. Um, you know, Jameson Williams really came out faster, you know, no pun intended, uh, than, than Mechie did. Uh, Mechie had a better end of the season, and then he got hurt too. So Mechie, I would say I would draft him if I were the Patriots. I don't. I want to draft him in the first round. I would draft him in the second round if he's still there. And if let's say Christian Harris is not just because I don't think Mechie has quite the same standout traits. I think he does a lot of things well as a receiver, but I don't mm-hmm. know if he's going to be able to consistently beat NFL corners. If he has the speed or the size or the athleticism to do it, I think he's good in all those boxes. I don't know if he's great. And I think Jamison Williams from a speed standpoint is great. And, and that can be sort of his, his meal ticket in the NFL. So he would be the guy. And I think it almost helps the Patriots that they got hurt. It's an ACL. Everybody recovers from ACLs. Like it's mm-hmm. never really an issue. So I don't know why he would be dropped other than just availability. Like, okay, maybe he can't play for you the first month of the season. But if you're playing a long range game with the first round pick, as you probably should be, I, I don't see why that would be a big issue. This feels like a situation where he drops into the middle of the second round of the Patriots straight up to get him. Yeah. I mean, if, if Williams went that far, that would be shocking. But I could see the Patriots, let's say he drops out of the first round and then his early second round to the Patriots trade up in the second round mm-hmm. to get him there. I think a lot of teams would be trying to do that if that happened. Um, I don't know what the Patriots' ammunition standpoint is. It seems like they have less draft pick stockpiled than they did They do, you know, yeah, five or ten years ago, but yeah. they might have enough to make that happen. Trade out. <laughs> Bill does love trading away those fifth round picks. So maybe a bunch of those fifth round picks could get him to move up to uh, you know somewhere in the top 10 of the second round. I- I'm assuming most of these guys that we've already discussed are more projected to be day one, day two types. Is there some sort of weird under the radar prospect 
that we're not seeing on some of these early draft previews, a day three type, an undrafted free agent, a former lacrosse player who might end up appealing to New England as one of those kind of those weird late picks that, you know, has a has a way of finding his way onto the roster. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Slade Bolden. Um, and I think as I, I think whenever Slade Bolden is discussed from a, from a draft standpoint, and it, it's not going to be a lot, but whenever he's discussed, it's going to be connected him to the Patriots because mm-hmm. he's that prototypical uh, slot receiver as the Patriots have drafted or, you know, signed as free agents in the past. Um, and he's, you know, I, his exact measurements, he's five foot 10, five foot 11, returns punts. Um, plays the slot for him and also even played a little bit of wildcat quarterback. They called it the Slade cat at Alabama a little bit more two years ago than this past season, but does a lot of things, you know, the sort of guy who wouldn't cause any problems around the team, good character guy, (laughs) just, I mean, he's the prototypical Patriot in a very stereotypical way. Mm -hmm. And I, I could very easily see the Patriots taking a flyer on him fifth, sixth, seventh round. And he had decent production too. I mean, he it's not like he didn't play or um was totally under the radar from that standpoint. I would have to pull up their exact stats from this season, but he was their third leading receiver, I'm pretty sure, uh, but Alabama and you know it's Bill O'Brien, the coordinator. Now, the one thing I think sometimes Patriots fans forget or may not know is that with Alabama and Saban, it's the same offensive system no matter who is the coordinator. Mm-hmm. So whether it was Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian or Brian Dable or Mike Loxley or now Bill O'Brien, it's the same playbook that they're working out of. So it's not a situation where Slade Bolden played in the Patriots slash O'Brien offense at Alabama and would have a knowledge of it. it it's actually a case of Bill O'Brien having to learn the Alabama playbook. And it was actually mm-hmm. Mac Jones who taught him that uh, when Mac was getting ready for the draft last year. So um, I guess I would be cautious to overrate that part of it, but just from a, a fit standpoint, yeah, Slade Bolden to the Patriots on in the sixth round would just be, it would be destiny, I think. <laughs> Let's expand the conversation a little bit to include some other SEC guys. Is there someone you saw play this year, Alabama or otherwise, who strikes you as a guy who might be a good fit in Foxborough along the same line? So, I mean, I think the, the first place to look would be the Georgia front seven because they're going to have, I'd say, at least four guys go in the first two rounds. And that Georgia front seven, that Georgia defense, did not play well in the SEC championship game when they lost to Alabama, but they kind of recovered and, and played back to their capability in a national championship game and really shut down Alabama at that point. So there's a few different guys. I know people – Jordan Davis is is the nose tackle for them. I think people really you know talk about the most 360 pounds. I don't know if the Patriots need that sort of guy. And mm-hmm. he's probably late first, second round pick somewhere in there. But if you have a God show, if you have a Barmore, like, I don't know if you need that guy. And I don't know. He wasn't the most disruptive player in terms of getting after the passer. He's more of that cog in the middle. I don't know if you need that style of player in this defense. I think you need speed. And I think you need second level guys. You need pass rushers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Trayvon Walker is one from Georgia and I'm blanking on a couple of other, there's so many. N'Kobe Dean will be the linebacker who won the Buckus award mm-hmm. um, for them. Channing Tindall is another one who's going to get drafted. Um, and there's one other guy, again, I still have the names in front of me, but that whole Georgia front seven will be the first place to look. They drafted guys from Georgia before the, the year they took win and um, Sony Michelle. So, you know, I think the Saban uh, or the Belichick Kirby smart relationship is still pretty strong. 
Um, maybe not as strong as Saban and, and Belichick, but I, I think there would be a trust factor there, and I could very easily see the Patriots dipping into that that pool of players. Other than that, I mean, it's not – it wasn't the biggest um, – or it's not going to be the biggest year in terms of SEC prospects in the first round. Mm-hmm. So there's not a, a whole lot of names. A couple offensive linemen, the old Miss offensive lineman, I don't know if he'll drop that far. Um, he's probably borderline top ten pick. But, yeah, nobody that would really stand out to the point of, you know, you think you need to take him in the first round. I don't think it's that sort of draft year for the SEC. What about Traylon Burks? Yeah, that would be actually another guy. Thanks for reminding me. I I do think, you know, he's more of a size receiver. He had a great game against Alabama, too. I I shouldn't overlook that. Back in November when Arkansas played in Tuscaloosa, he, God, he had 150, 160 receiving yards. And I looked it up. It was the third most ever against a Saban defense at Alabama. And I think the most was Mike Evans when he was back at AM. and I forget who had the second most, but that's pretty good company. And he, he's definitely, he's, he's a size receiver. He's a bigger dude. He can get downfield. I think it's, he's kind of what they wanted out of Nikhil Harry. Yeah. Obviously haven't gotten that and they probably won't get that. Um, so if you want to take another shot at that sort of guy, you know, you could, but you know, is he going to run, a four, two, four, three, and be that burner. I don't think so. Like, I think he's going to be fast, but not that fast. And if you're looking to add speed and, and sort of downfield ability at, at wide receiver, he might not completely check that box. If there's that guy in the first round of the draft, certainly not from Alabama. Um, and it just from, you know, reading about other, other schools and other teams, I don't know if that, that sort of player exactly exists in, in this year's draft, at least that high in the draft. Like we said, you've had the opportunity to cover the Patriots and Alabama. Give me one way that Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are similar in one way they are totally and completely different. So I'll start with the difference because that honestly stands out more to me just in listening to Saban. Like Saban, he does have those sound bites where he's grumpy and you know getting mad at us and all that. But usually it's more about the question that we ask or the way that we phrase it. Like he hates hypotheticals. He hates comparisons. He hates things like that, but he usually still answers those questions. He kind of moans about, about it and complains, and then he'll answer the question. He'll give you a decent answer, sometimes a great answer. Um, gives us injury information whenever we ask about it, like detailed injury information. Um, he's very, I don't say philosophical, but like he, he worked very closely with a, a um, psychology professor at Michigan State when he was there, and it's really carried over the rest of his coaching career where he's all about the psychology of, of what, how players think and how you need to coach them. And he almost gives us the same speeches that he gives his players when he starts his press conferences about how they need to approach the week and all that. You don't get that from Belichick. Belichick's not going to give you an injury info. He's not going to give you his motivational tactics. He's, he's much more closed off than I would say Saban is, despite the uh, perception otherwise. In terms of similarities, I would say it's probably just in the way that they approach their jobs, especially if they're at their ages too. I mean, Saban just turned 70 in October. Belichick's about to turn 70 in two months here. Like for them to still be going to work every day and doing things as hard as they do it, like Saban's out recruiting. I mean, he's in his helicopter and private jet and all that, but like waking up every day in a different city and like he could be retired sitting in his lake house right now. And he works harder than, than anybody in that building. Just as I think Bill Belichick works harder than anybody in the Patriots building, even at their age. So they're just wired that way. They're wired, wired to be very detailed and in the way that they 
approach preparation and all that. And at the end of the day, they're just two really smart guys. I think that's, that really comes off listening to Saban. It obviously comes off listening to Belichick is that you're just dealing with two people who are just intelligent at baseline and have made a career in football, but probably could have made a pretty good career for themselves somewhere else. Mike, this has been great. Thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about. Tell people where they can read your stuff or follow you on social media. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike Rodak and also uh, AL.com is our website. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Birmingham News newspaper, but I'm sure AL.com is the, uh, the better uh, option for most people out there. Sounds good, Mike. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can connect again sometime between now and draft weekend. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.